cliffcentral.com. You have to make a leap, which is trust in yourself and trust in your partners, trust in your business idea. And you have to do that because success is never guaranteed. Hi, everyone. Once again, welcome to Market Share. This is where I chat to people who influence the way brands are built, big brands and small. And I will spend some time on small brands as I believe they're the future of South Africa. I will also cover many other interesting marketing and advertising issues. So, how does someone who has worked as a strategist in advertising all over the world and run a company in China turn to rubbish? Or more politely put, how did he recycle himself as an eco-warrior? It looks like Gavin Heron, my guest today, follow the teachings of Confucius who said, we have two lives, the second begins when we realize we only have one. Welcome, Gavin. But before we talk to you about your new life and rubbish, <laughs> I'd like to start by asking you about advertising and doing business in China. So, Reggie, well, as you know, I left China in 2009, so I'm a little bit out of touch, but I'm still um, in contact with a lot of friends there. Um, I think that if one had to think about China, the first thing that one should think about is that there are a huge, huge, huge number of people all competing to get into university. So if you are working with a university graduate, you really are dealing with someone that is super, super smart and has worked their ass off to get to where they've got. So that's the first lesson. So you should never underestimate the the smartness, the ability, and the just the intellectual capability of uh, your Chinese colleagues. And I think that that's I think where the Chinese power is actually coming from at the moment. So you say they've got a good education system. It's a fantastic education system. It can be a little bit uh, one-dimensional, but if you're talking about uh, the ability to process information quickly, the process, the ability to work hard, the ability to decipher what that information means, then you're talking about a sort of global elite. Um, the same, a Tsinghua University, which is Beijing, would be a graduate, would be equivalent to a Harvard, a Harvard graduate in my mind, or even maybe to a Rhodes graduate. And I think the second thing is that uh, the downside of dealing with China is uh, you need to really watch your negotiation because the, the the thing changes. There's always some – who you're negotiating with is never the decision maker. So you see often that someone will go, uh, just as you think you've made the deal, they go, oh, we need to check with someone in Beijing. And the deal will just flummox or they'll come back hardball at you. So just be aware that you need to be able to say no and tell them to bugger off which is not necessarily a bad thing in negotiating skills, but always be aware that the person you're dealing with is not the decision maker. And I've seen this happen in South Africa and also in China when we were working in advertising where the game changed pretty quickly um, and we had to negotiate a settlement and we ended up with an Iveco van as the settlement. <laughs> so, so it's not always clear. When I was there, it was the time of the Olympics and the whole thing of uh, Chinese nationalism and aspiration and as a global player was just coming out. And I think that that we should also not underestimate that. So if you are being critical of China, you can be uh, very quickly subjected to a few million because you talk about huge numbers of people who are going to just take you out on the equivalent of Twitter or anything like uh, stuff like that. So don't upset anybody. Be clear, uh, be practical and be aspirational in terms of Chinese nationalism and their position in the world, which is what we did with the Adidas campaign, which won a Cannes Award um, for in the Beijing Olympics, because Adidas were the sponsors at that time. 
yeah, smart people negotiate properly and uh, don't upset the Chinese. <laughs> Were there any very strict advertising rules? Were there do's and don'ts? Um, was there an ad- advertising standards authority there? Yeah, they, uh, it's usually under the Department of uh, Propaganda. So the, you, you do, it's similar to South Africa. You're not allowed to be, uh, have competitive statements against brands, a little bit like South Africa and the UK. So they've taken a lot of the standards and uh, what would you call legislation and guidelines from the UK uh, rather than from America. So that's always interesting. Um, and media is also interesting because basically what happens every year is that the media companies, and it's become a big live event, basically auction off space. So you'll get P&G, Procter & Gamble, or all the big players, Chinese brands as well, actually uh, bidding for advertising space again in the big networks. So that's also a little bit interesting because it happens publicly and it becomes a huge celebration of who's got the most money. And I believe you brought the first lion to the land of the tiger. Can lion, that is. Yeah, we did. So that was TBWA uh, when I was working in Shanghai. It was for the Adidas campaign for the Beijing Olympics. A very beautiful campaign, actually. And it was executed by the Chinese team in uh, in Shanghai with some help from some of the regional guys. But uh, yeah, the first can lion went to uh, Adidas in China and to TBWA in China. Fantastic. And what was it like living there, Gavin? We really enjoyed it. It's, uh, first of all, we're not, uh, we're living in a really safe environment, uh, which means that, you know, our daughter was educated in a Chinese school, but she could catch, um, as a young child, catch a taxi to school. Um, our older daughter, before she went and was educated in Australia, used to go out and catch taxis at 11 o'clock at night when, on a weekend or whatever it was. So there's that aspect of urban safe life, which is really fantastic. And I think that's something a lot of us miss um, in South Africa, and which I think overseas people in New York or London will understand uh, how fantastic an urban life is. You know, I think it's just a, an analogy is that uh, in China, white people are called Lawai, which means um, old person. And that's a sort of, it's not an insult like you get in uh, in Hong Kong where you call it Guai Law. Off <laughs> when it always sounds so horrible. So, so people were at that time were very, very friendly. And I must say at that time, because 10 years is a long time and half a decade, things change. A great place to live, very convenient, very interesting, very exciting at the time because we were living there from just, uh, yeah, 2097, yeah, 2002. Great food, uh, all the brands were coming in and all the big brands were competing. So Verve Clicker would cost around 50 rand a bottle. Um, so it was a great social but very hardworking life. It was a, fant- a fantastic place to live. So you were very successful in advertising. Why did you leave advertising? I think it's—I mean—it's a really good question. I think that what happens to—you always—we always used to say, um, with very few exceptions, um, excluding yourself, that there are very few old people in advertising. And I always used to, <laughs> used to go, well, I wonder why that, why that is. And then when I got older, I was out of advertising. And um, But I think that what happens is you start seeing the same problems over and over again. Cultures change. You start seeing um, similar problems, similar issues. And you just get, I, I got tired, to, to be honest. I got a bit bored with the process and the politics of client relationships and things like that. And um, I always felt that I was good at building businesses, but I was really crap at managing a business. Mm. Um, so when I had to manage a business, I got bored and irritated very quickly. 
and I think I was really crap at it, actually. <laughs> so, no, I don't think, um, not, not, not what I heard. I heard you were very good internationally, and then you were very good locally. So, anyway. Uh, but I, went to, I always wanted to do something bigger with my life, you know, and I, I loved the brand. I worked on Chivas Regal for 15 years, which was, you know, and wow, I had most brilliant clients from Pernod Ricard, wonderful people. Uh, we're still friends to this day. I was able to travel the world. But I always felt that I wanted to do something that was better, uh, not in terms of that advertising is bad, but just something that's better that makes more of a contribution to the world. And I was always sort of attracted to nature, the environment. And my wife had this idea of doing this uh, this business. And I went, okay, well, I'll join you because I'm not doing, I'm not happy where I am and I'm not doing great where I am. And I'm pretty crap at what I'm doing where I am. So let's try something new. And much to her subsequent regret, I think, often. <laughs> Just before we go on to uh, Earth Probiotic, what did you learn about advertising when you left? What What did you like and what didn't you like? I think the, the brilliant thing about advertising is the ability to assimilate huge amounts of information and complicated information and put that down into a very coherent strategy. Um, and I think that that training is second to none, where you can take insights and turn them into a proposition. So that's the first thing. I think that just that ability to take information and make sense of it very, very quickly, which is what we often were forced to do in advertising, is one of the great lessons. I think the second thing is that when we deal with clients, we as advertising agencies, because advertising is our whole business, we underestimate how little our business is in our clients' lives. So we think that because advertising is 100% of our lives, at least it should be 50 to 60% of our clients' lives, but they have so much other stuff to do. So I think what's important is if you are in advertising is really think about your client's time. And that means doing work right first time so you don't waste time because it just becomes really, really, really irritating. So I think that's important. I, I agree with you there because I think I learned a little bit about a hell of a lot of things but not a lot about one particular thing, if you know what I mean. What I really learned is the real economy is not what advertising does. The real economy sits in Boxburg, where people are making stuff and engineering stuff and fabricating stuff and putting chemicals together. That's the real economy. And I think that there's such a big opportunity for advertising agencies to do more in the B2B space. It's a big challenge, and it can cost a lot because you're having to educate clients. But the real economy is, I think, advertising is a pimple on an elephant compared to the real uh, the real economy, which is the B2B industrial economy. Okay, moving on to your chapter two. You started a food waste uh, composting business with your wife, Karen. Tell me about Earth Probiotic. So about yeah, t 10 years ago, Karen had this idea of using, uh, she was um, looking at feeding food waste to earthworms, but we were still throwing a lot of food waste away, cooked food, meat, uh, stuff like that. And she came across this technology called uh, Bokashi, which is a Japanese technology. It means fermented organic matter. And she then said, oh, I'm going to start this business. And it, originally it started, it was going to be a hobby business. And then I said, but surely it's bigger than that. And uh, she was persuaded to let me join her. And we started a food waste composting business. Very small at that, at that time. We dealt with sort of small commercial clients, small hotels. Our first client was in um, Vitbank. Um, because waste wasn't getting collected, so they had a skip full of rotting waste. Uh, that was our first commercial client, Proteo Hotel in Wittbank. And we expanded from there, and then we, we've we never borrowed, well, 
our pension has gone into the business. Uh, but luckily, we had a pension in order to that could go into the business. And then we started developing and scaling our technology. So to the extent where today we scale from households all the way up to a machine that's sitting in Santon City and it's doing uh, 60 tons of food waste a month. We have machines sitting in the Okavango. We have a machine at Kusile. And all of these machines are intelligent, data connected. Uh, we can run them and manage them from anywhere in the world. So that's where we started. And we've just carried on innovating because that's what we like doing. We, As I said, I'm shit at managing a business, but I like building stuff. You did a very brave thing. You left a really good job because you were a CEO of an advertising agency. And you went and started something from scratch. I mean, it must have been really tough. And what would your advice be to other people who want to do something similar? So you were the one, Reg, who told me. I think you said. <laughs> Don't blame me. So, so, so Reg said, you only have one opportunity. You, you said to me, uh, you have one opportunity to do this. Because if you don't do it now, you'll never do it. So 10 years ago, I was in my mid-40s. So it was quite old to start a, a new venture. Because it's, if you lose everything, it's, there's little, very little, limited time left to make it back again. Our big mistake was, I think, that we tried to build a category which didn't exist. And that was really, really hard. So think about the category you're going into because establishing a category as a small business is uh, near impossible, actually, unless you've got some genius uh, technology or solution that it's just been way, everybody's been struggling with the solution for years and years and years. And to a certain extent, we still are, we have genius technology, but we still are building the category which is also why we welcome competitors in the category because we need other people to help us along uh, to build this category. So that's I think that's really important. And I think the second thing is we were also – the other mistake we made is we uh, – our business is called Earth Probiotic, and I think it's a really shit name because <laughs> it's complicated. It's difficult to spell. It was uh, It made logical, intellectual sense when we came up with it. But we are always going Earth as in – when they say, what's your email address? You go gavin.heron at earthprobiotic, and then you have to spell out earthprobiotic. So that's important. Think about your brand name and how easy it is to send in an email or to write into a web browser or something like that. I think that's really, really important. If you had to do it again, what would you call it? We've got a great brand called foodtosoil.com. Food to Soil. Uh, yeah, Food to Soil, which is registered, which is really nice. Yeah. And it says what it does. Mm-hmm. So we could think about that. But earthprobiotic within the sectors that we deal with, we're very well known within our sector. And, you know, if you had a Google food waste, we dominate uh, organic search as well as paid search. So, But that's taken years and lots of money to develop. So it should name cost you money. But I think everybody, I know a lot of people have heard of Earth, Earth the thing is I can't even say it, Earth Probiotic. Yeah, you have to be not big Greek to do that. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and tell, me, tell me, who's the boss in your business, Karen or you? No, Karen's the boss. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely. No, because uh, whoever runs the money is the boss. So, whoever runs the money is the boss. So yeah. is she the CEO? Yeah, Karen's the CEO. Yeah. So she deals with all the big decisions, uh, pulls me into line when I try. But everything that we do, spending money of, like when it comes to proper investments, she uh, she has to approve. She's a lot better with people than, than I am, and she's a lot better with money. I think we'd be bankrupt if, if Karen wasn't the, the boss because – we're a business that we lost a quarter of a year through um, COVID. All of our commercial business closed down, but we still finished a year uh, in profit and with good cash in the bank. So, yeah, and that's that's purely because of my 
my boss. <laughs> not because of it. So what do you do then? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a sort of marketing and sales. Right. So I do the marketing, do the web development, do uh, all that stuff, sales, especially on the commercial side, which is more my focus. Karen does more on the retail consumer side. Uh, but yeah, marketing and sales, um, and then obviously product development, which, which Karen gets involved in as well. But those are really my core responsibilities. And how do you promote your brand? How do you go about selling it? So, <laughs> so in the beginning, we used to do it through a lot of like exhibitions and markets. So you'd be on the ground, basically in a market, like a fate or a little uh, organic market selling your stuff. And I, I remember going, shit, that's so embarrassing. <laughs> it's like selling a, yeah, selling right. a bucket. Anybody sees me here. Yeah, I don't want anybody to see me. And it was so embarrassing. And then my brother told me a great story is that he started a business called NutriSoda in America. And his son, when he saw him outside a, a retailer selling his stuff, was so proud of him. And it really gave me a real perspective because, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed of when you're selling, no matter how big, no small. And it really taught me a lot of humility. And you need to learn how to sell again because advertising sell you pitching. That's not really selling. It's different. You're standing in front. You've got all these people around you. You've got all the support. But if you're dealing on a one-on-one and you're going, and people have never heard about what this thing is and they really, really try and understand what it is, um, that's real selling lesson. And then obviously, so that's where we started. Uh, we try PR works for us really, really well. I think that PR is for us much more important than advertising. And then obviously social media, Facebook, Twitter, things like that, and uh, Google AdWords. Uh, so we always thought we need to be as visible to Google as possible. So that's why we're on YouTube. That's why we use Google fonts, because we think that maybe that makes us more visible. I don't know if that's true or not. We need to like just buy into the whole Google ecosphere as much as possible. And that's uh, helped us a lot. So we're really good on organic search, and we now invest in Google AdWords, especially over the pandemic where people are at home and they're cooking a lot and there's a lot of waste. And we've also got issues where the collection of that waste will be disrupted off and on as, uh, uh, sadly, as people get infected or someone, they have to close down uh, depots and things like that. So waste has become really, really important in terms of uh, resilience. So we're also focusing on that at the moment. That's a very important issue. So if I wanted to get a little home kit, for example, to look after our food waste, what would it cost me and how would I get it? So it'll cost you to set yourself up. It'll probably cost you around um, 460 Rand. Um, that'll give you the probiotic or the the beneficial microbe mix plus two bins. Um, and then you're, depending on how many people in your household, you'll be probably spending about 10 to 25 Rand a month because you need to replenish that probiotic. It's uh, consumable. And you can order online through bokashishop.coza or you can go to Take A Lot or you can go to Faithful to Nature or you can go onto our website earthprobiotic.com and we have all our outlets listed there as well. What happens if I live in an apartment or a flat? How do I get rid of the waste? So there's different ways you can get rid of the waste. You can have a little worm farm on your balcony. Mm-hmm. The waste can go into the worm farm so you can make your own soil. If you have community gardens, it can go into the community gardens. Um, you can also make potting soil by putting it into big pots in order to replenish soil and uh, also it'll break down the microbes or break down the food waste very quickly. So there's lots of different methods. Or you can find a friend who's a compost gardener freak and give it to them. So there's lots of, it's not difficult to get rid of uh, nutrients because essentially what you're dealing with is you're taking food waste nutrients and turning them back to soil. So that's a very valuable thing for any gardener. 
I got to say, I'm, I'm really impressed with what you've done. I mean, to, to leave, as I say, the cushy advertising business, although you said you were bored, and to start your own brand like this at the tender age of how old are you? 45? Yeah, 45, yeah. You got to be brave, but uh, well, well done. And I'm so pleased it's going well. But now I want to talk about Gavin Heron. I want to go behind the mask of Gavin Heron. <laughs> I'm not good at masking which is, stuff. Which is not, a, not, a, not, not too difficult. <laughs> so, so, Gav, what are you scared of? I'm scared of failure. Um, I'm, scared, I'm scared of letting my family down. I think the philosophy is, is that you can be scared of things that are out of your control, but then why be scared of them? Because you can't control them. And things you can control, you need to solve them. So why be scared of those? But, you know, find a solution and solve them. So I'm not really scared of anything. I'm scared of my wife. Um, <laughs> but, but that's about it, I think. Um, we're always scared of... Uh, of, of failing, but usually by not scared of failure because you did the right thing, but scared of failure because you're just dumb. Yeah, but, but that seems to be such an interesting thing with a lot of entrepreneurs. People are going to start their own brands. They're scared to lose, and uh, I must say, well, they're scared to fail. And that's what drives a hell of a lot of people. And I'm glad you said that because I think uh, it's one of the key ingredients is being scared of failure. But you can't be too scared because if you're too scared, no. then you won't do anything. So... You know, there's always that point of uh, you have to make a leap, which is trust in yourself and trust in your partners, trust in your business idea. And you have to do that because success is never guaranteed. I wrote a blog. I have a small blog called GavinHeron.com. And I, and I wrote a piece saying, never leave your idea in a bar. And I think that often we have brilliant ideas and we're sitting and some mates and you're having a dope and you're drinking. And that was in the old days when we could still do that. Um <laughs> And you have these ideas and then nothing happens to them. So there's always a point where you have to execute and that takes uh, guts, sometimes a little bit of madness, but you have to make that step. So ideas are free and ideas are worthless until they're turned into something. And that's, Execution, yeah, you have to execute everything, unlike our government. So do something and that takes a leap of faith. So you need to be scared, but don't be so scared that it paralyzes you. And what does Gavin Heron like to do for fun? Oh, Rich, I'm a, a dog lover. I like walking. Um, I don't play a musical instrument. I can't sing other than the House of Rising Sun in, when I'm drunk in a karaoke. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, spending time at home, spending time with my dogs, spending time with the family, gardening, doing a bit of DIY stuff around the house, making stuff. That's what I, I, I do for, for fun. And, you know, having a braai and hanging out with mates, which is not something we can do all the time. But um, I like being with friends. I like being outside. I like love nature. I uh, love the bush. Um, every opportunity I can get to the bush, I try and take. That's what I do for do for fun. And I think the best thing is about getting away from everything where you have no phones, no cell phones, no e email, no nothing. You and, need your, your brain needs a break. You need time to, for your brain to breathe. Yeah, and also you're never that important that things will fail without you, you know, it's like you're not that important. No one is that important. The business will carry on. But Karen always says, when I want to get a quote out of it, and I'm rushing her, she goes, we're not dealing with heart transplants here. You know, no one's going to die if they get a quote today or tomorrow. Um, but make sure that it's done. But, you know, so be realistic about timing and the business will survive without you if you take a break. Absolutely. Gavin, thank you very much. Um, I just want to, conclude by saying it wasn't so much that Gavin's life turned to rubbish when he left advertising and started with Earth Probiotic, 
but more an evolution into something more meaningful, as you said. As Steve Jobs, who is a guy I was lucky enough to have lunch with, said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that do. And I think you're doing a bit of that, Gavin, and thank you very much. Thanks, Rich. Always nice to talk to you. Thanks for listening to Market Share with me, Reg Lascaris. I'll be back soon with another episode giving my take on brands and companies, big and small, in South Africa and elsewhere. So chat soon. Cheers.